Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. podcast, podcast, podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Dysunomics. Please make sure you subscribe to my Patreon. Check out the link in my bio that will be on Instagram and Twitter. It will also be in the description of this podcast. Patreon is where um, my listeners and whoever like really enjoys the podcast or any other bits of content I'm involved with can get access to exclusive content, whether it be written pieces, videos, um, exclusive podcasts slash interviews. So make sure you check that out on Patreon. Big, big shout out to the patrons I got so far. I'm really, really appreciative. Appreciative. I can't say that word, so I'm gonna scrap it. I'm really grateful, you get me? And this week you'll be seeing some great stuff on Patreon, even though I'm gonna be gallivanting on the opposite side of the world or Europe, shall I say. So thank you, first and, firstly and foremost, thank you to all those who have joined my Patreon. And also thank you to all my subscribers. Not Is it subscribers or followers? depending on what platform it is on um, Apple Podcasts subscribers on on Spotify, SoundCloud as followers, all the people that follow and enjoy this podcast, I really, really appreciate you. And yeah, that was it. But this week's episode, last week we spoke about TikTok, so make sure you check that out. So still on the tech type of vibe. Very unprofessional as I drink a young juice. We're talking about Netflix. <laughs> The economics of Netflix and chill. So, for those that don't know, Netflix Inc. is a media company that offers consumers the ability to buy a movie and TV services. They were founded in California in 1997. And they actually rented DVDs uh, um, initially, but they've moved away from that model. They are largely a subscription-based model. At at the moment, um, from from the date we have, so we've got the Q2 data this year, so the Asia Pacific region is their fastest growing segment. And the world's divided into four segments according to this data set. So you've got the US and Canada as one, one segment. You've got Europe, Middle East and Africa, EMEA, one segment, Latin America, one segment, and Asia Pacific, another. So shock horror, their biggest segment is the US and sector, shall I say, is US and Canada. They take up 47% of their revenue uh, income, revenue stream. Europe, uh, Europe, well, the EMEA, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa is 31%, Latin America 13%, and Asia Pacific 9%. Netflix, in terms of like the money behind Netflix, Netflix have actually posted a negative cash flow since 2011. Actually, let me see what cash flow is. Cash flow is the net amount of cash and cash equivalents being transferred in and out of a business. So essentially, when you look at the money coming in and the money coming out, that's your cash flow. So if you've got 100K coming in and you've got 50K coming out, your net cash flow, for this argument's sake, is 50K, positive. 
But if it's the other way around, you have a negative cash flow. So Netflix have had consistently a negative cash flow since 2011. However, this year, so far, the first two quarters of this year, they've had a positive cash flow. And this is due to the increase in revenue. So more and more people have um, subscribed to Netflix, which I want to talk about later, of course. And also a de decrease in cash payments on content assets. So they're not getting these Netflix specials and not purchasing as many content during this pandemic time period. So their net cash flow is actually up. So we all know Netflix. Um, I might as well talk about my favourite shows to add a bit more roundness to this podcast. My favourite, if I had to pick my top five favourite Netflix um, productions, I'm not just talking Netflix originals, just whatever's on Netflix. Sorry, I can't remember the difference. Number one will definitely be House of Cards. Number two will be Narcos. I adore Narcos. House of Cards is my fave. Number three... My third favourite show, or might be my second favourite outside of House of Cards, is actually Homeland, but I don't see Homeland as a Netflix show. You see it? So I'm not going to count Homeland. So House of Cards, number one. Number two is Narcos, as I said. Number three... I think... I will go, ooh, I think I might go Ozark over Money Heist. And number five is a bit of a sticky one still, word to Heady. There's, what have I enjoyed on Netflix? I've re I really enjoyed, oh, I might be Daredevil, I love Daredevil. There's Daredevil, there's, what else? There's El Chapo, I thought was great. I love Shooter, I enjoyed Shooter a lot. What else have I binged on? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll think I'll settle with Daredevil. I love Daredevil. That was that was awesome. So those are my five favorite shows. So, how do what's like the science or the economics, shall I say, behind how Netflix makes money? So let's say, for example, two seasons of House of Cards. Um, I think I saw this online. Cost a hundred million dollars. So two 13-episode seasons. To pay for it, to finance this, essentially, 520,834 people need to subscribe for two years. So that equals about 1,600 for four Americans. And if you have for five shows, then 2.6 million new subscribers are needed. So that's the model. So it's always about getting as many subscribers as you can to, obviously, to balance the books. Because that's, the only, that's the, the only revenue stream, really and truly. The pandemic that we've been living in, unfortunately, has made people be more confined to their homes. So, like we see in lockdowns everywhere from China to Australia to Italy to Jamaica to the United Kingdom to Spain, whatever. And this has seen a massive increase in Netflix subscriptions. In terms of net membership additions, so that's people who are dropping out their memberships. No, it's the total amount of people who are subscribing. So, let's say you've got 100 people subscribed this month and 50 people cancel membership this month. Your net membership additions is 500. I mean, it's 50, sorry, I said 500. In 2020, Q2 2020, so that's um, April, May, June 2020, compared to April, May, June of 2019, Netflix has seen a 274% increase in net member additions. This is massive for Netflix. So remember one of my previous um, coronavirus pods, Netflix, and I think I also spoke on the great Mercedes Benson socially, social fix it. Um, I spoke some about some of the winners of COVID, Netflix are one of the big winners of COVID. Net income has also increased by 166%, while 
or no, sorry, 16.61%, whilst revenue has risen by 24.9%. So all, all, all across the board, positive numbers for Netflix. In 2019, the contribution to profits for domestic streaming, international streaming, and domestic DVD were respectively 3.3 billion, 1.6 billion, 174 million. So DVD was the lowest contribution to profit, 174 million compared to domestic streamers that stream within the United States and Canada, that's 3.3 billion, which is double what they do outside of the US, outside of North America, 1.6 billion. Netflix does not sell ad space, nor does it sell their user data. So streaming is their only source of revenue. And this is different from some of their competitors, which I'll speak on later. The good thing about streaming, and this probably ties into music as well, which I'll hope to talk on next week, is that streaming is extremely scalable. And scalable, when you talk about scalable in the business terms, it's like, okay, how, okay, this is our business. Let's say we're selling meat pies on the street corner. This, our business strategy, our business model, how likely is it that we can make this bigger, 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 wider arching audience, wider arching market? Can we make this, can we grow this business? And is it viable? Is it economical? The amount of products, the amount of a product a company is willing to produce is really based on how much that product costs, which is known as a cost production, and the price of their products in the marketplace. So for example, go back to the meat pies. So on average, if it's gonna cost me 50 pence to make a meat pie and I can charge it at pound twenty, that determines how much of those meat pies I'm gonna make because that's my profit margin. A company will continue selling its products onto the marginal cost of production of producing one more additional unit of that product is the same as the marginal revenue they receive from that additional unit. Now, in commerce, like in not economics lingo, a company will continue selling their products if the cost it the cost for me to make one more meat pie is the same as the revenue I'll get to making that one more meat pie. If me making another meat pie, let's say I make 10,000 10, meat pies a month. If making the tenth on the ten thousand from ten thousand and one meat one meat pie is actually going to cost, I'm actually going to lose money compared to the ten thousand meat pie. It doesn't make me doesn't make sense me making ten thousand one meat pies because I'm starting to eat into my revenue. It doesn't make sense. So there's always a certain amount of products a company will sell because at certain points it gets to a point where you're actually not making any money from this. Like for example. Let's bring about a meat pie example, but make the numbers a bit more um, palatable. So let's say you're selling meat pies, yeah, and they're selling, you're selling them for a pound, but it costs you 80p to make. You're still making 20p profit, 25% profit on each one. However, if it starts to cost you after, let's say, making 100 or 1,000 meat pies, it starts to become, okay, cool. It's costing me now one pound 10 to make this meat pie, but I'm it for one pound. Why am I making it? I'm losing money, so it makes no sense. So, in basic economic terms, a firm maximizes a firm will maximize its profits when the margin revenue equals the marginal cost. That's when you're going to make the most revenue. Now, if you look at a company like Netflix, the cost of getting an additional member. So, how much it costs Netflix? So, let's say me, economics, I don't have a Netflix membership, although I do. For me to let's say I wanted to get a Netflix membership today, the cost f- for me getting a, to get me a, um, 
to provide me access to another Netflix membership is zero dollars. It's, it's basically zero dollars. They have massive costs, don't get me wrong. They have a amount of debts. They have to pay content. They have to pay for content, etc. But in terms of the subscriptions, it doesn't actually really cost them anything for, for you to get more and more and more and more subscribers. Their costs have hardly changed from having 140 million subscribers to 140 million one subscribers. They don't have to make a bigger factory. They don't have to get a bigger uh, a next supply chain. They don't have to move things around. It's, it's because of the nature of the actual product. It's a digital service. So they can just sell as many as they possibly can. Now, who are the ops for Netflix? What's their competition? Well, you've got Hulu. Hulu launched in 2008, strange year to launch, uh, the year of the, the um, financial crisis, which shows that, listen, even in this tiresome times of COVID, you can still make money. You can still start a business that can hopefully grow to be fruitful. So Hulu launched its website in 2008. They have hundreds of TV shows from ABC, BET, NBC, all those places. They also, they, they make revenue from two ways. They have subscription that's paid. So there's free Hulu, and there's the one that you pay for. And they also have advertising. Some of the big brands that are advertising on their platform are McDonald's, Visa, Pepsi, Microsoft, and State Farm. They have a free service Hulu and they have Hulu Premium. But both services have ads. It's just, of course, Hulu Premium have fewer ads than, than Hulu. So they're one of the biggest competitors. Um, Disney Plus is another competitor. They recently had Black as King, so shout out uh, Beyonce on her birthday this week, same birthday week as myself. It's my birthday actually today, so happy birthday to me. Thanks, Ayo. Um, if you look at um, Disney Plus subscribers, it's grown quite significantly. So I think it launched last year, November 2019. They had 10 million monthly subscribers. Now they're up to 50 million. And they are quite cheap, but they're like around five pounds something or five dollars, whatever, I can't remember what it was. Um, and I know people can get free O2 because my friends will talk about it yesterday. So that's got all like the Disney films and they got all the Marvel stuff and they yacked some of the Marvel content from Netflix because obviously they were going out to compete against them. So if Amazon Prime's another competitor. They um, received last year $2.8 billion in revenue from the streaming service. They have 26 um, monthly users, 26 million monthly users in the United um, States as well. Hulu's subscriber base is actually also 28 million. So similar to Amazon Prime, um, this grew dramatically 48%. So almost almost doubled since 2017. Uh, so, they're, so they're doing pretty well in terms of increase. Netflix, of course, are the biggest in the market. In Q2 of this year, Netflix, um, according to Statista, they have a US subscriber base of 73 million users. So that's like way, way, way more than the other um, competitors. They dominate the market. So according to, to Statista, um, last year they finished um, Q3 in total with 158.3 million subscribers. They have the they basically have 63% of the market. And Amazon Prime has 9.7 compared to Hulu 7.9. So they're really dominating the market. So yeah, it's quite interesting. A bit of economics and a bit of finance talk behind one of our favorite things. And now on a more lighter note, we're going to talk about a little bit of Netflix and chill and some of the statistics around it. So if we're looking at um, if we're looking at um, highspeedinternet.com, 
they had a neat little survey discussing Netflix and chill and how integral Netflix is to dating. So they asked, would you rather give up sex or streaming for a year? So you listeners, you can answer that question. I will post this on my Instagram. Hopefully my mum doesn't (laughs) check that story, you get me? So 30% of people said they would rather give up sex, while 70% of people said they'd rather give up streaming. So that's quite mad. Three out of 10 people would rather not have sex for a year than not be able to stream for a year. I will not give you my answer. Uh, Single people are more likely to choose Netflix over sex, or duh. Married women are more likely than married men to give up sex on Netflix. Married people overall are more likely to choose sex than streaming TV. Pretty obvious why. So, uh, another thing. Uh, So, in terms of um, how many exes have used an ex's Netflix password, one in three, so 33% of them, Um, 36% of people say an ex has used their Netflix password. One in 10 said they have dated someone to use their Netflix subscription. And millennials are more likely to date someone just for their Netflix subscription than any other age group for obvious reasons. They're trying to cut cut down their cost, my G. Which is quite funny. 7% said they've ended a relationship because of someone's Netflix preferences, which I find crazy. But I'm just thinking, imagine, I don't like chick flicks, so... I'm chilling my shorty and she's trying to slap on all these next chip flicks. That will probably agitate me, but I don't think I'll break up with her. I'll probably just go on my phone or something. But, you know, sometimes women look like to force you to watch stuff with them because they're wicked. Why um, do three say they've got into a verbal argument over what to watch on Netflix? I can definitely see that. Married couples are more likely than any than singles to get into a verbal argument over Netflix for a reason. And young people are more likely to fight over what to watch than older people, which makes perfect sense. Now we look at Netflix cheating. 8% say they'll break up with somebody if they finish a TV series about them. You don't need to grow the fuck up. <laughs> That's a draw up. More than a half say that they've Netflix cheated on their partner. And millennials are more likely to Netflix cheat on their partner than older people. We're less likely to live with our partners. So it's going to be a lot harder to watch a TV show when your missus or your part or your fellow is in the house. You see what I'm saying? But when you're at home, my, my G, I'm carrying on, my friend. One of three people say... They spend spend all or most of their time with their partner watching Netflix, so that's quite a lot of time. Two and three say that it's somewhat important to their to their partner that their partner has the same Netflix taste as them. Obviously, if you're really into Netflix and chilling or watching, you know, watching stuff, it, it kind of helps to somebody kind of likes the same stuff you watch. Now, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed this cheeky look into the economics of Netflix and chill and other streaming services for visuals. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please don't forget to sign up to Patreon. Link will be on my Twitter, on my IG, and also in the description of the podcast of the Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Uh, make sure you subscribe, follow, whatever. And yeah, on to next week. Take it easy and stay safe. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 you need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.